Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 9. We'll pick up there in just a second. But today we're looking at the topic of the King of Glory. As we have entered into this season, this time of summertime, uh, we've gotten past Memorial Day now, 1st of June, here we are. A lot of folks probably getting ready to go on vacation. Uh, some folks will go to different places uh, to get away during the summertime uh, for a long weekend or maybe for a week or so. And as I was thinking about some of those places we go and thinking about the topic for today, uh, have you ever been to some of these places, you know, like the beach or the mountains or wherever, and just standing there, begin to think about the greatness of God, but also how small we are in comparison to him. Many times, you know, just uh, standing on the edge of the ocean, looking down at one grain of sand and looking at the vastness of the ocean and thinking about how big God is and that my life is really like one little grain of that sand and all that big seashore and know that God still knows me and loves me even though I am that small, yet he is this big. Or being in a, in a cabin on the uh, edge of the mountains, on the side of the mountains, and seeing the rolling mountains and just to look at the beauty of that as the sun comes up or the sun goes down and just to think about how big God is who created this, and yet he loves me, and he loves you to think about those things. Or even if you're on an airplane going somewhere, and you're way up high, and you look down, and you see all these city lights, and know that they represent millions of people, and yet we're way up here, and we can't see them, but God somehow knows every person and loves folks, loves people. I don't know about you, but that just blows me away sometimes. Just to think about how big God is and how great he is and how small we are. But today, the disciples, we're going to see three of the disciples, will experience just a touch of the greatness of God. And then we're also going to see the rest of the disciples get a clearer understanding of just how weak we really are. And in our passage, we'll explore his wonder in our weakness. And so we want to walk away today with a better picture of who the king of glory is and who we are and our desperate need for him. And then in that process, see how we can catch a glimpse of the glory of God and finding that this really is the solution to our weakness. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, would you please stand as I read for you Mark 9, verses 2 through 29. It says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. 
Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And so they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, Then indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things, and how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word this morning. And we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, call us to the place where we need to be to understand a little bit better, to catch a glimpse of your glory. But Lord, help us to understand also our weakness and how we can rely upon you in our weakness, that you are our strength. So Father, may you have your way in us today that we'll walk away from here knowing that you are a great and awesome God and that you are here for us to bring glory and honor to your name. And so Lord, I pray that you would touch every heart and every life for those of us who need to be refreshed in our spirit, for those who need to know Jesus as Savior. And all the way in between, Father, all the different needs that need to be met, may your spirit meet those needs in speaking to us through your word. But, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We see the outline today uh, in your bulletin for the message. Um, So just hold on tight, okay? We're going to get through there. So a few, few things there, but the first thing we want to see here is his wonder. In verses 2 through 13, as we read the first part of these verses, we cannot help but to be in awe of King Jesus. Amen? 
we cannot be, help but to be in awe of what has taken place here. And this transfiguration has taken place of Jesus. And it happens right here in front of us in the pages of Holy Scripture. And to have been Peter, James, and John, oh, what a glorious day that would have been. Amen. That would have been something. But as we come to this scene and we see this transfiguration takes place, it points to Jesus as the king of glory, as the God of glory, as our glorious God. And we see certain things here about him in this transfiguration that point to that. We see his wonder, first off, in his clothes in verses 2 and 3. In these two verses, it tells us here that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. The word, therefore, transfigured means, it comes from the, the Greek word of transfigured is metamorpho. Well, we understand metamorphosis and, uh, you know, caterpillar to the butterfly type of thing, but it means an outer change that comes from within. In reality, it's not that Jesus was changed here, but it was an unveiling of who he is. That's what took place here at the transfiguration. And so Peter, James, and John, they go up with Jesus and he is unveiled in front of them. He is transfigured in front of them. And as they're watching this unfold, they do not see Jesus, the man from Galilee or the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Oh no, they rather, they experience here as they're on this mountain, the radiant glory of the essence of deity through Jesus and even much so much so through Jesus that it radiates through his clothes. It tells us in the passage of scripture that his clothes become shining exceedingly white, means dazzling white or radiantly white and nothing that they had ever experienced before, nothing that the disciples had seen, not of this earth, no human had ever seen anything like this and the supreme And it represents the supreme glory, the supreme purity, the supreme holiness of God. As a matter of fact, the account that Matthew has of this passage scripture tells us that not only did his clothes radiate, but Jesus's face also did shine. So the radiance here that Jesus has in the transfiguration was not borrowed from some other source, but rather it was as in not like a reflection. It was not reflected off of something, but rather this glory came from within him and it was a continual shining. You've seen reflections when people have their watches and the sun will catch a ray or something and it'll reflect and you'll just catch a little glimmer or whatever or a a mirror or what have you. This is not the case at all. This was a continual shining forth through Jesus, out of Jesus, around Jesus, and of Jesus. This transfiguration is the same radiance and glory that Jesus had before he came to earth and the same glory that he will have when he returns to establish his kingdom. In John chapter 17, 5, it said, Jesus says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had with you before the world was. That was in his great high priestly prayer. Then also, uh, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, 
11, where who, Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So this glory that the disciples are experiencing here in, as they see Jesus and how his clothes are just radiating out is a, is a re- revelation of who Jesus is, the king of glory. And it was an amazing experience for Peter says, even in verse five, that it was good for us to be here, meaning it's excellent. It's beautiful for us to be here. So we see the clothes point to the king of glory, but also we see something else here. How, how awesome to experience the glory of God, where even the clothes on Jesus radiate the glory of God. But also we see secondly, the cluster. In verse 4 here, it tells us, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. There is a cluster of people. There is a gathering of folks here with Jesus, the gathering of Elijah and Moses with Jesus. This also, with Elijah and Moses being here on this Mount of Transfiguration and this happening, this unveiling, with Elijah and Moses there, it also points to Jesus as the king of glory. Elijah represents the prophets and how he had foretold the coming of the Messiah, where Moses represents the law and how he had predicted the coming of the great prophet. And their presence with Jesus was confirming Jesus's mission as the Messiah. They're saying in essence by being there that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the God of glory. Now, it tells us here in this passage that they were talking to Jesus. Now, wouldn't you want to know what Elijah and Moses are talking about with Jesus? Amen? Wouldn't you want to know? Well, guess what? We can know. In Luke 9, verse 31, it tells us in this account that they were speaking of his death. They were speaking about his death, that Jesus' death that was to take place. And the word for death in that passage means exodus. They were speaking of his exodus. Jesus would lead the people out of the bondage of sin in a new exodus through his death and resurrection. Because of the cross and the resurrection, he has set free from bondage, set us free from bondage of sin and Satan. Amen? Amen. Y'all awake this morning? All right, good. So we see here the cluster here that points to Jesus, the king of glory, and also the clothes that just sort of radiate from Jesus. And we see his radiance point to Jesus as the king of glory. And then thirdly, we see the cloud. You're going to like this, by the way. They see the cloud here, verse 7. It tells us here they're on the mount, and a cloud came and overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. A cloud came, it tells us, verse 7, meaning the the structure of that sentence is that there is a suddenness of the appearance of this cloud. It's an it's amazing nature of what has happened here. Now, this is not an ordinary cloud like a vapor cloud or like the fog has settled in. This is not what that is. Rather, this is the Shekinah glory cloud that has come down. The Shekinah is a a word that means where he dwells. It's the glory of God cloud. What's the significance of that? 
What's the significance here that a cloud has come now and overshadowed them? Well, I'm glad you want to know because in the Old Testament, it tells us about a cloud. It's the same cloud. Look, the same cloud that guided Israel out of Egypt in Exodus 13 is this cloud that came and overshadowed them. The same cloud that appeared to the people in the desert in Acts, and, and rather in Exodus 16, it's the same cloud that came and overshadowed them. The same cloud that appeared at the door of a tabernacle as the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 33 is the same cloud that came and overshadowed them. The cloud that, that rested above the mercy seat beneath the, the, uh, the golden cherubim and between the golden cherubim in the Holy of Holies in Leviticus 16, it's the same cloud that came and overshadowed them. As the ark in the Old Testament is placed in the temple, you remember that the cloud filled the temple so that the priest could not minister and the glory of the Lord filled the place, friends. It's the same cloud now that has come and overshadowed them. The cloud points to the glory of God and to Jesus as the king of glory. Oh, the wonder of it all. Amen. Amen. What the significance of that, that what is happening here, it points to the glory of God. We see the clothes, we see the cluster, we see the cloud, and then we see the claim in verses 5 through 8. Again, back here, Peter answered and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Wouldn't you be? Amen. Verse 7, and a cloud came overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. The cloud came, and it overshadowed them. But, but Peter had spoken when he really needed to be silent, but he just couldn't help it. Amen? He just couldn't help it. He had to say something. But the cloud came, overshadowed the Shekinah glory, representing God and the glory of God. And a voice then comes from the cloud and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. The emphasis there in the first sentence is, the, is on son. This is my son. But also the emphasis is also on beloved This is my loved son, his only son, the son of his love, the son he loves. And he says to these folks here, hear him, hear him, listen to him is what the cloud, the glory of God, what God the Father is saying, listen to him. And the word for hear him means to listen and obey him. In other words, Listen to who he is and obey what he says. Don't listen to your own ideas or your own preconceived notions. Remember, they have these preconceived ideas as Jesus being the Messiah here. And he's the God, the Father, saying, listen to him. And the word means to obey, listen and obey. How often do we hear, but we don't listen? Amen. God, the Father, saying, listen to him and obey him. The claim from the Father points to Jesus as the king of glory. And then fifthly, we see this, the class. Verses 9 through 13. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. 
So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. So here, Peter and James and John, they they still don't understand everything. Even though they've experienced something magnificent here, they still don't understand everything. And as they're coming down off the mountain, they're questioning among themselves in verse 10, talking about rising from the dead. And so they're thinking, okay, Jesus has told us that he must die, but we still can't wrap our heads around that, especially after what we have just experienced here on this mountain and the glory of God has surrounded us. And obviously this is God here in front of us. And so how is this? this, that he must die. And so they have this going on, but they then ask in verse 11 about Elijah, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Is this the experience uh, that uh, we're talking about here in the scripture? Does Jesus then takes them to class? He takes them to class as they're walking down the mountain. Can't you just hear the conversation between these four as they're asking the questions, peppering Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them and telling them what needs to be said. He's telling them here that Elijah is coming, and indeed he has come, and he points out, and we see in, it's spelled out in Matthew a little bit better, Matthew 17, that this Elijah is John the Baptist. And just as this Elijah suffered and died, it is preparing the way for Jesus' suffering and death as well. And so these disciples are, lear- are learning, and yet Jesus is still talking about suffering and being treated with contempt. And so if you're one of the disciples and you have just experienced this and you have seen Jesus experiencing the radiance flow out of him, the transfiguration, the unveiling of who he is, you have to wonder, is Jesus, is he really going to die? And if he says he's going to die, is he still going to go through with it? But yes, he does. And this experience, this, this mountaintop experience with Jesus here has strengthened Jesus for what is to come. Tim Keller writes in his book, about the gospel of Mark, he says, as he's talking about this Mount of Transfiguration, that Jesus has lived for endless ages in glory with the Father. On the mountain, we see Jesus surrounded by God, but on the cross, he will be forsaken. On the mountain, we see life he has always led, embraced and clothed with the love and the light of God, but on the cross... He will be naked in the dark. Why? Why did Jesus put himself through that? He did it for us. He did it for us. He died a cruel death on the cross in our place, taking our penalty for sin. He did this as the king of glory. And the Mount of Transfiguration strengthened him for the mission of dying in our place. Oh, the wonder of it all, amen. Oh, the wonder of it all, the greatness of God. But then we turn and we look at the next story here real quick and we see our weakness. We move from the mountaintop experience of his wonder, seeing the king of glory to now the valley of weakness And friends, as we follow this story, we cannot help but to see ourselves in this next story. And the first thing we see here is the attempt. The attempt. 
In verses 14 through 18, it tells us, When he came to the disciples, Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately they saw Jesus. All the people were greatly amazed, running to him, greeted him. He asked the scribes, What are you discussing with him? And one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and who, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So there's quite this dispute that is taking place here as Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He walks up to them and he, he wants to know what's happening. He wants them to tell him what is happening. And the father's son, the father's whose son is demon possessed, tells Jesus what the demon has done to his son. And he has come looking for Jesus to, to bring about the healing. He found the disciples. He spoke to them to cast out the demons, but they could not. They attempted to help, but they couldn't because they didn't have the power to do it. Now, if you recall back in chapter 6, they had been given the power over demons by Jesus. So why were they not able? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But we have, listen, we also have been given the power to live for the Lord. Why don't we? Even as we make attempts to doing what God has called us to do, why is it that we also sometimes fail even though God has given us the power to do what he's called us to do? We see the attempt. Then we see the accusation in verse 19, which is the truthful accusation, but it's an accusation by Jesus. In verse 19, it says, he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. He calls them a faithless generation. Faithless means without faith, unbelieving, an unbelieving generation. This is generally, if you remember, you see that in the Old Testament. It was generally, this wording was generally used of Israel as an unbelieving nation. And in particular, it was the prophet, God through the prophet speaking to its leaders about this faithless generation. And so Jesus here, as he is saying this to the disciples, he is exasperated and he is weary. He seems, in his mind maybe, he seems to be the only one of faith in a sea of faithless people. It is wearying him because of their unbelief. And as I look at this question this morning, I have to wonder, do we also weary the Lord with our unfaithfulness? Do we also weary the Lord with our unbelieving hearts? He knows what is needed among his disciples and it's simply faith. Faith. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. In our weakness, we, are, we see the attempt of the disciples that they couldn't help, but also the accusation, the accusation, the truth by Jesus that they were lacking faith. But also we see here the attack. We see the attack of the enemy in this passage of scripture. That's why faith is so important. We see what the demon does to this boy in verse 18. It tells us, and whenever it seizes him, this this unclean spirit, this demon seizes his son. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. 
Then if you skip over to verse 20, it tells us more about what this demon has done to this boy. That when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed. He fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And then you look further, verse 22, how often he, was, he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So we see this happening here, and we understand that the goal of the enemy, the goal of our enemy, the devil, is our destruction. Now, the devil will lie to you, and he will say he's offering you pleasure, but in reality is out for your destruction. And we see that very clearly as how the demon does this to the boy. He's out to destroy him. But notice, I want you to see something else here in verse 22. The father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He says, help us. He doesn't say help my son. He says, help us. Meaning both my son and me help us. In other words, the father is identifying with the misery of his son. We talked about it this couple weeks ago. When our children are going through stuff, it doesn't just affect them. It affects us too. Amen? And so that's what he's saying. Help us. But we also need to understand, friend, that Satan's attacks affect us when he's out to get us, but it also affects others who are close to us. There is always a ripple effect of sin and Satan's attack in our lives onto other people. Does that make sense? He is, he is always on the, on the prowl to devour us, to destroy us. And when he attacks us, it affects us, but others as well. And on our own, we are weak in the face of the attack of the enemy. And so then we also see something else here in this passage. Not only the attack, but we see the acknowledgement by the father. The father here acknowledges his weakness. His weakness, listen, his weakness here is our weakness. Look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus said, in the New King James, it says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In most translations, it's if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The father knew that he was weak. The father knew that he had nothing within himself to make him worthy of having Jesus answer his request, but he knew he needed him. The father knew that he needed Jesus. And so Jesus tells him to believe. And the man cries out, the Bible says, with tears. And the word cries out is a loud shriek. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, see, friends, listen, what the father of the son knew, we need to know. What the father acknowledged, we need to acknowledge. But too often, we will not admit, well, we are weak in our faith. But instead, what we will do is we will think, I got this. I can be strong in in this. I can be strong in the front of other people. I've been this path before. I know how this works. I've got this. But friends, listen, we are weak without Jesus. We need to be, listen, we need to be vulnerable to the Lord and acknowledge our continual need of him to help us in our weak faith. I want you to notice here the word help. 
In verse 22, where, where the father says to Jesus, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then he says in verse 24, uh, also where he talks about, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The word help there is the same word in the English, but in reality, the tense of those words are a little bit different. So in verse 22, when he's asking for help, helping us in the midst of what's going on, it is an instant help. We need this help right now. But the verse 24, where he's saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, that is in the present imperative, which means he is continuous, he's asking for continuous help. He is saying there, be constantly helping my unbelief or my weakness of faith. Be constantly helping my weakness of faith. And friends, again, what the father of the son knew and acknowledged, we need to know and acknowledged that we continually need Jesus because we're continually weak in our faith. Our weakness, we see here in the attempt that there's no power to do what God had called them to do. The accusation of truth, that there was a lack of faith. The attack of the enemy to destroy us. And the acknowledgement that we need you, Lord, because I am weak. And then we find the answer in verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Here's the key point. All things are possible to him who believes. Jesus, the king of glory, is the answer to our weakness. Not positive thinking. It's trusting in the king of glory. It's having the faith the size of a mustard seed from Matthew 17. It is believing in him. It is trusting in him because he has the power. Amen? He has the power. You say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, let's remember, he is the king of glory. He is the son of God. He is loved by the father. Still don't understand why it's hard to overcome, why we don't have the power well, the disciples didn't really understand that either. If you remember in verses 25 through 27 here, that when Jesus saw the people, he, he rebuked the unclean spirit. It came out. Verse 26, the spirit cried out, convulsed the boy, thought he was dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up. But then in verse 28, when they had come into the house, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And then the new King James adds by fasting as well, but prayer and fasting. But what we see here is that they have been given power, as we said, to cast out demons and unclean spirits in chapter 6. So why could they not do it now? Maybe the answer was the problem that they had in verse 28 where they said, why could we not cast it out? They were depending on themselves. They were depending on, we've done this before, we've got this. And so they did not pray. They did not rely on the power of God. Friends, listen. We are all weak. And we all have weaknesses. All of us. There's nobody here that has it all together all the time. Amen? Nobody. We're all weak. We all have weaknesses. And let us acknowledge and cry out to Jesus and let our weaknesses drive us to his strength. 
Because you need to understand something is that we are in a spiritual battle daily as believers. And if we go into the spiritual battlefield in our own strength, we are defeated before we ever begin the battle. So how do we overcome our weakness? How do we walk in his power? Boy, if you know... I bet this father of the son, if he could have just been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, he would have had the faith, wouldn't he? If all those disciples had been there to experience what Peter, James, and John, that boy, they would have had the faith. If only we could be with Jesus on that mountaintop experience like Peter, James, and John. If only we could just catch a glimpse of his glory standing in awe of him. It would strengthen us and remind us of what a mighty God we serve. Amen? So I don't know about you, friends, but I have this longing to experience the glory of God and to see his face and to feel his embrace. But on this side of heaven, I cannot experience that fully except for just a glimpse And on this side of heaven, friend, I can only catch a glimpse of glory. Well, pastor, where? Where can I capture a glimpse of the glory of God? Tell me the mountain. I'll get the plane ticket today. Amen? Tell me where I need to go. Tell me what formula I need to put out there. What is it that I need to do to catch a glimpse of glory of God? Where do I catch a glimpse And you don't have to go anywhere. You catch a glimpse of glory in worship. In worship. As we gather together among God's people, when we sing our hymns of praise, when we pray, when we give our tithes and offerings, yes, that too is an act of worship. When we're taking communion, when we're listening As we're gathered together as the body in worship, we can catch a glimpse of the glory of God as we sense his presence. But friends, understand that you don't have to just worship here. It's vitally important and commanded that we do gather together. But you need to understand that if all I had was just one, one Sunday morning worship time to get me through the rest of the week to endure the weaknesses that I have, then I'm, I'm going to be hurting by Monday. Amen? So guess what? You can worship the Lord wherever you are. You can worship the Lord in the morning as you get up and spend time with him in prayer and as you listen to his word speak to you as you read it. You can worship the Lord as you sit on your porch at night and you watch the sun going down. If you're an early riser, you would worship the Lord as you would watch the sun maybe come up somewhere as well. As you stand on the edge of that ocean this summer when you're on vacation and you look out across the magnitude of those waves and the sea and the sand and you begin to remember how great God is and yet how small we are and yet how he loves us, friends, it will take you to the point of worship. 
As you sit on, in your rocking chair on the deck at your cabin, as you look out the door in the mountains, if that's where you go, and you experience the beauty of the rolling hills and the clouds in the sky and the grandeur and the glory of that place, you are reminded of the greatness of God. And yet he loves me small as I am in the midst of all this. And he's created that for me to enjoy. You can worship him there. Or as you're on an airplane and you're already talking to God anyway to make sure you get home safely, amen? But as you're on that airplane and you're looking down and you, you're fascinated by all the lights that you see that represent millions and millions of people and you begin to try to think, how in the world does God know every single one of those people and yet he knows me and walks with me and loves me and died for me? How does that happen? And we come to the place where I cannot fathom, I cannot comprehend, but oh, what a God we serve and how great he is. Amen? Amen. How great he is. And when we take our minds to that place, it is an act of worship and we are reminded of how great God is. And even though we are weak, it helps us in our weakness because we know that he is all powerful king of glory. The king of glory. And we yield to him. He is, he is strong and he is great. I am weak. I am need him, but he is almighty. I am powerless, but he's the king of glory. And he alone, he alone is worthy of worship. Let us rely on him in all of our weaknesses, in all of our weak moments, because he is the answer. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because Jesus knows you. And he died for you on the cross of Calvary, rose again bodily from the grave, giving you hope, assurance, and forgiveness if you will receive him. He calls out to you. It takes a step of faith, acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a savior, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, which is repentance, returning from our sin and turning to him saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. And I believe embracing, believing with all of our heart that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross, taking our penalty and rose again bodily from the grave and professing him as the Lord and savior of your life. It's a step of faith. If you'll take him by faith, accept him by faith, receive him by faith, you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. And Christian, maybe you're here today and you just need to be reminded of the greatness and the power of God. This Jesus, who is all glorious, still walks with us, still talks with us, still loves us, still encourages us, still helps us. But let us worship him, acknowledge him, Acknowledge our weakness and that we need him and rely upon him in everything. And don't try to do anything as we enter out into this spiritual battlefield on our own, but to trust Jesus and to go to him in prayer for there is the power in him. Are you with me? Are you with me? Today, maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Say, Lord, I want to surrender everything to you. Or maybe you need to, God's dealing with you to transfer your membership here. 
God's been dealing with you to be a part of this church family. Whatever God's dealing with you about a calling on your life that you need to lay before him, be obedient to him today. Let's pray. Father, as we come to our time of invitation, may you have your way in our hearts and lives and you alone are worthy of worship. You alone, oh God, will have your way. And so, Lord, we are in desperate need of you. We are weak and we have weakness, but you are strong and you are all powerful. And so, Lord, we worship you and we honor you and we praise you. Now, Lord, as we come to this invitation, may you have your way in every heart and every life. For those who need to know Jesus as Savior, Lord, let them say yes to you this morning. Those of us who know you but just need to be refreshed in our spirit, Lord, maybe you've already touched their hearts and spoken to them. Lord, maybe they need to come and just pray. Whatever you're doing, Lord, may you have your way all over this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, have that own way. And you come as God has dealt with your heart as we sing together. Have that own way. <laughs>